Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. When we understand those motivators and the mindsets for shopping online, the reasons for shopping online versus offline, then we can also plan accordingly. We might not have the right assortment to tailor to that shopper. If they're shopping for occasions that are going to be more gifting or about special events or sharing occasions for online, then we need to show up and deliver price pack architecture that is consistent. But if we don't have that and we're not seeing the sales, if we understand that as a driver, then we can plan for that accordingly. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. We're in a new year, and one of the things that I've reflected upon is how how you measure your business has so much to do with the results that are actually driven. Versus? Versus a strategy that has measurement objectives, but maybe you haven't fully thought through how every single day you create the operating rigor organizationally to measure progress and measure against the results that you've set. Yeah. In the book, The Defining Book on OKRs, I think it was John Doerr, the book is called Measure What Matters. And it's amazing how infrequently that actually happens. You can have scorecards and targets and all that other crap. And it is crap unless it ties back to ultimately what drives the business and pays the bills, right? A hundred percent. You can think about it at a company level. You could think about it at a channel level. You could think about it at a team level geography but it really does drive cross-functional collaboration, how you measure results. Oh, absolutely. And this is what happens when you end up not aligning a company all the way at the top on the ultimate goals, which is why 
leaders have to lead, not manage, ultimately manage or put the right people in management, but leaders have to set the ultimate OKRs, those objectives and key results. And then everybody's got to personalize that and make them their own, but not divert so far so that you don't, you kind of get lost in the minutia of it. And you don't understand how what you're doing is actually driving that greater good. Mm -hmm. That goes back to both the combination of what makes good business sense, but also, you know, just the idea that like what I do actually matters, like as an individual. So if I'm a sales analyst working on the Wegmans business, and I don't understand how what I do actually impacts the ultimate outcomes for the brand I represent, then I can quiet quit. I could decide I'm going to catch up on White Lotus instead of ask for more work. So you're not feeling bought in. But once you actually understand how what you're doing actually impacts the greater good, and there's actual business dollars and cents, euro, yen, pesos, whatever associated with it, then you say, okay, well, put me in coach. We've all had the opportunity from hearing from multiple great executives at Mondelez. But today we are bringing onto the show a woman who is driving an agenda forward when it comes to analytics and insights. And Christina gets under the hood with us on a framework that she uses that drives cross-functional collaboration through the lens of measurement. Let's have her on. Today, we are happy to have Christina Marinucci, Global Head of Shopper Excellence at Mondelez International. Christina, I have to tell you, the first time I met you in person, just a couple of months ago, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is just a wealth of information. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. And it's nice to finally meet you both in person, sort of, in our virtual environments here. But thank you for having me. We're super thrilled. And actually, it is kind of funny because the day of this recording, Rachel and I are actually in person right next to each other, which never happens. <laughs> and we're going to be seeing Christina in just a couple of hours. And one of the words that has been going around the Mondelez virtual and in-person office that I've heard really coming from you and really championed by you is the word fidgetal. And so I think it's kind of funny considering how fidgetal today and <laughs> for the yes. three of us. <laughs> Very fitting. Very fitting. And, you know, I've heard this from you. I've heard it from G. I've heard it from Francesca. But my understanding is that a lot of this does come from the genius that is Christina. So how would you define digital for our listeners? And what do you think that means? Not necessarily about how the three of us can get together, but how companies <laughs> can organize around a word that you can't even find in Urban Dictionary. Yeah, and I definitely can't take credit for coining that. I looked it up and it was an agency that I think was out of Australia and they actually started using this word like 20 years ago. So well ahead of anyone else. But simply put, I think physical is the blending of the digital and physical to create these enhanced experiences for both our consumers and our shoppers. I did look it up and I saw a definition from a business school. So that's great, right? They're teaching students this today. So hopefully they'll be ahead of the curve, but they're defining it as the concept of using technology to bridge the digital world with the physical world with that purpose of unique interactive shopper experiences, which I think is great. If that's a course they're offering, sign me up um, or my kids. <laughs> but it's really about those, how do we make the shopping experience elevated, right? How do we create those unique experiences and really eliminate the boundaries that surround the physical space? We know that this is happening all around us. Many of our retail customers are innovating here and even retail media is becoming more physical too. 
they're expanding those omni touch points and they're reinforcing that need to have integrated planning as part of their process. So Walmart Connect says, make every media moment a retail moment. So they are definitely investing heavily in this space through those self-checkout screens, screens on refrigerator doors, in-store events that are more personalized, et cetera. Amazon's planning to sell those ad placements for its physical stores, digital signage in store, and that's going to be on their smart cards. Again, checkout booths, those digital smoke screens, et cetera. So our retailers are already here. It's how do we show up and co-create these experiences with them and really bring that personalization into a space where it really didn't live before, that physical environment whether that's enabling it through a phone and making it a more personalized shopping experience and kind of acting as your Google Maps to direct you around the store to those promotions that are going to be relevant to you or help you in filling up your cart while you're in the store based on your shopping list that you created online. So I think there's just a plethora of opportunities for us. But at the end of the day, it is blending those two spaces and for the delight of our shoppers. Love your omni-channel vision. What we found is that When folks are often in your position, while it seems so obvious that you should be advocating for an omni-channel experience, that there's still education and championing that needs to happen around e-commerce excellence with your fellow colleagues, how are you driving advocacy with probably maybe some of your colleagues who are less well-read or experienced when it comes to e-commerce? What are your tips and tricks to make this happen? Well, I started with a song, a remix of Madonna's Material World. It's we're all living in an omnichannel. But no, if it's not directly in your title, we all need to be thinking omni. It's easier said than done. I think it involves a few things, really making it top of mind and obvious, trying as best as possible to keep it simple, showing them what's in it for me, measuring it and also advocating for it. So we really want to start with driving visibility. Like where is growth coming from? And it sounds foundational, but how do we have one common and consistent holistic view of growth that combines the online with the offline so that you can easily show and point to where growth is coming from, which right now we know the growth is coming from online. And then you can dive into the drivers of that. And are you receiving your fair share growth? More times than not, those are two different measures living in two different places in two different departments, and they're not being looked at side by side or together. I think second is just keeping it simple. This is where the data comes in. And we know that data on this side is messy, and that's why people choose to not engage or understand it many times. But we need to combine all the information across the customer journey, whether that's online or offline or any point in between, to have that accurate picture and understanding of our consumers and our shoppers. And we really need to show our cross-functional people, and this is something we strive to do every day, what's in it for them, right? So the holy grail is digitally influenced sales. If we are able to show that, I think there's still that pushback, well, only you know a minority of my sales are coming through online. That's fine, but the majority of your sales are digitally influenced. So if we can show that halo, we can show the incrementality of e-commerce to our offline business. Those are the types of metrics that are going to get people engaged and starting to listen. And finally, I think what gets measured gets done. So we need to ensure that we're delivering on this omni-channel experience and executing on that strategy as part of our annual planning process and as part of our performance objectives. 
And finally, I think we need to have advocates, right? We need to change the mindset and the culture that can be reinforced by cross-pollinating and breaking down silos, which I think Mondelez does a really great job of creating these cross-functional teams, some from offline, some from online that are really encouraged to collaborate through common sets of KPIs. And then finally, think more omnichannel. And I heard a term called omnitude. I'm stealing that from Sephora, but it's this new omni mindset, embrace an omnitude so that we are thinking that first. It doesn't come second. It's not about prioritizing one or the other, but it's about both equally. It's one way of shopping for our consumers and shoppers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Obviously, what you're saying makes a ton of sense. Not just sense for e-com, but just sense for business in general. No, like just for business. <laughs> yeah, like what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. Like that is 100% the story of every operating plan. Look, you're doing two things. You're following the consumer and you're following the money. So at this point, like you said, it is good business sense. I'd like to just go a little bit deeper on what you were talking about related to digitally influenced sales, because I have found that the more we talk about that, the more people start buying what you're selling. And when I say people, I mean the people who say, oh, e-commerce isn't a thing anymore because we're not in lockdown, which is just complete BS. But because we have the data to prove it otherwise. How is that digitally influenced sale story resonating with some of the latecomers, if you will, to this omnitude you are speaking of? Yeah, well, I think we have to let the data speak for itself. So if we have the data to show, just recently we did an incrementality study to show if e-com is specifically incremental. And I think what we heard, especially during the pandemic is, well, of course it is because everyone has migrated online, right? They have no other choice. That's why you're seeing these huge increases. 
but it was very critical to now that things have normalized to some degree to redo that analysis and prove it out once again, because there are always going to be those naysayers or disbelievers or laggers to the party, right? So how can we continue to have that updated, refresh, relevant data to continue to show them, no, it is incremental. And oh, by the way, there's a halo on to your offline business that you're getting a double benefit from. I think also the missions, so doing missions work and really understanding how the shopper behaviors and the motivators differ for online. And it can be like a chicken and the egg thing. When we understand those motivators and the mindsets for shopping online, the reasons for shopping online versus offline, then we can also plan accordingly. We might not have the right assortment to tailor to that shopper. If they're shopping for occasions that are going to be more gifting or about special events or sharing occasions for online, then we need to show up and deliver price pack architecture that is consistent. But if we don't have that and we're not seeing the sales, if we understand that as a driver, then we can plan for that accordingly. Even with inflationary pressures, there is a lot of talk about, well, this is going to hit e-com hard, right? That was the hypothesis that because it costs more online, the shipping fees. Again, if we have the data to show that's not the choice they're making, it's not about online, offline. It's about what they're buying in general, which is agnostic of their normal routines of where they shop. So I think, again, it's refreshing that. It's kind of taking every objection or myth and trying to demystify it with that data. When it comes to everything that you're navigating, on top of all of that, you have global in your title. And so it seems like such a tall order to be creating advocacy through the organization around Omni and Ecom, then actually drive business results and then start to make sense of it at a global and a local level. What advice do you have for people who sit in your seat? How do you tell global stories, spot global trends, but also figure out what's relevant in the local markets? Yeah. So I think a lot of it does start with listening to those local markets and building from the ground up to understand what are those key business challenges? What are they challenged with today? What's keeping them up at night? And then prioritizing against those. But I also think that there are some human behaviors that are global. And we talk about and build global growth strategies, which we do need to think through more end to end all the way through to how would we actually activate this in market? What does that look like? I think when we focus too much up here, I'm (laughs) pointing like everyone can see me, but on the strategy, which can be very high level, sometimes we lose engagement from the local markets because it's not tangible to them. So we really do have to think through and contextualize some of the tactical activation and those platforms that are going to help us achieve the growth, the vision that we're laying out for them. So even at a high level, those activation ideas, which start at the local level, which has to happen locally, is important to help even think through the feasibility of of what we're going after and what new capabilities or frameworks we're trying to build. And they also help pressure test the reality of things, right? Like, is this feasible? Does this new elevated shopping experience that we're trying to drive What does that actually look like when it gets all the way down to a mom and pop store in Chile, right? 
And coming back from that to bring the markets along that journey from us. So then what does that mean? And how would we sell that in? And what do we need to think about at the beginning of the process to proactively plan for that versus at the end? So I think it's bringing people along the journey with us and then also leveraging the work that's been done already. Like we know there's great work in the markets, right? We are constantly asking and stealing with pride to share that across other markets and to learn from them. That's the real benefit of being in global is that a lot of your work's already done for you. You just have to go find it. And then you can find those commonalities and the, I'll call it transferable skills that you can share out with the other markets and learn from both the good and the bad, what worked and what didn't. Is there any key market that you're paying attention to right now for predicting like 2023 trends? Gosh, you're asking me who my favorite child is right now. <laughs> no, it's just your child that is having a growth spurt. Yes, yes. Um, I think it depends on you know what we're looking at. We know last milers or Q Commerce is a growing channel for us. So there, you know, we're we're looking closely at India and in Brazil. They're doing a lot with that. Um, we also know Click and Collect is where a lot of our retailers are starting to focus and really build out that shopper experience behind. Before it was just serving urgent need, and now it's okay. Well, how do we optimize it? And there's big countries for that, like France, obviously U.S. And then we have social commerce and Web3 developments, definitely looking at China for some of those developments as well, leading the way there. So yeah, it just depends on what specifically we are targeting and trying to learn more about. It's very interesting that you mention India and Brazil, not because like <laughs> I love India and Brazil, I, I love them all equally, but it flies in the face of a lot of organizational structures because companies are typically structured regionally by geographic proximity. And what you're talking about is the difference between clustering markets based on e-commerce maturity or democratization or trends. How do you kind of cut across business unit or regional structure to actually do that generous thievery that you speak of? Yeah. So I think, especially as it relates to digital commerce, everyone's at a different stage in that journey. And that's really how we want to look at it because an emerging market and their needs and where they're at in that journey, what they're prioritizing and funding is going to look very different than where an advanced market is. So we think about our digital commerce markets by that maturity of digital commerce, right? So are they emerging, accelerating, or developed? That looks at the size of the e-commerce within the market, the fragmentation, our share of e-commerce in that market, et cetera. But while that's at a market level and you know it's the law of averages, we do see retailers, even within those markets that are going to differ from that average of like any other average would be. So Chile, for example, that's an emerging market, but we have retailers that are doing amazing things and we would compare them and consider them best in class to a developed market like the US. So it just depends where they're at in that journey. And I think the way we articulate that is by developing certain KPIs and criteria for what we would consider a picture of success by that stage of the journey. So the picture of success and the KPIs, the standards you're being held to are very different and more you know, basic foundational at an emerging level. They're going to build from there because you can't forget about the basics as you move up to advance. But we have those differences laid out in a checklist and a picture of success 
that just launched actually. And that goes across the flywheel. So it goes back to those fundamentals of flywheel. We all have the same. It all comes back to those principles, but how we apply them and how we advance them is where you're going to see the differences. And I think oftentimes, yes, we may overlook some of those uh, less advanced markets, but they actually bring a lot of great benefit. You know, we learn things around being scrappy there, dealing with a lot of ambiguity. We complain about there not being enough data, the data being messy. Well, they're blind blind and they're doing some great things behind that. And I think it also gives us a testing ground because the retailers are less advanced in their journey too. They are looking for that thought leadership and they're looking to partner and we can come in and use it as a testing ground to really learn together and iterate before trying to go sell that into a much larger, more complex customer market. We all play a role here and it's really just understanding where that market or that specific customer is on that journey and then holding them to those different standards and always giving them inspiration to get to the next right? What's next? And that's how we get inspiration from those more advanced markets as well. Well, we spent a lot of time today looking forward. We want to look back with you personally. (laughs) Christina, what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? Well, you mean besides having three daughters? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it was taking a chance and seizing an opportunity early in my career. I was working at IRI, so doing like the data, you know, very analytical And I wanted to do something different and put my marketing background to use in a different way, in a more creative way. So I took advantage of an externship opportunity in Milan, Italy, and worked at a diffusion showroom, totally outside of what I was doing at the moment. I quit my job and sold my car and basically took the savings I had made after college for a couple of years and went and lived in Milan for six months, knowing this was a short-term opportunity and not knowing what would happen after that and also not speaking the language. But it was a really great opportunity for me to see the world, gain some international working experience, learn that that's something that I really was passionate about and wanted to continue and also learn more about like the art and the science. For me, it's it's not one or the other. It's kind of left brain, right brain and trying to combine them in a role that I was passionate about. So coming back, that's kind of the path I took forward after that. And here I am today. So yeah, I think it was an opportunity. I was definitely worried about my parents are very worried about it, but um, it worked out well. So I'm glad I did it. Wow. There's a TV show right now where the daughter goes to Milan and they get very worried and she comes back to the U.S. and she's quite successful. So it all plays out well. <laughs> I still go to the three girls. That's pretty damn brave too. Yeah. Especially as they all enter their teenage years. So just talk to me in a couple of years. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. I've got a 23 year old and she might be listening. So let's talk <laughs> offline. Thank you so much, Christina. Greatly appreciate your insights. It's rare to get somebody who's not so heavy in one direction and the other, whether that direction is online or offline, that direction is sales and marketing, that direction is e-commerce versus omni-channel. You're just the voice of like, what's right, what's the right way to go. So thank you. I like that. I'll put it on my LinkedIn profile. (laughs) Attribution, baby. Definitely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. It's it's been fun. And I'm looking forward to seeing you both later. I'll see you later. (laughs) Well, that was really phenomenal insight from Christina. And, you know, for those of you who've been following along Brave Commerce for a couple of years that we've been doing this, you might be wondering, another person from Mondelez on the show? What is your obsession with Mondelez? 
And it's not about the obsession with Mondelez, actually. It's the obsession about how committed they are cross-functionally to excellence in democratizing the functionality of commerce and how it impacts their business. Think about the prior guests we've had on the show, John Halverson, global head of media and marketing. He's representing certain components of how that contributes to the totality of the ecosystem. Ji Cheng, global head of e-com and D2C, setting the right goals and best practices globally, specifically around digital commerce. Then you've got Francesca Hahn, who is representing the U.S. market. And then you've got Essie, who was CEO of Teats, which was recently acquired, representing an actual business unit leadership. When you see all of them talking about commerce with a little bit of a nuance here and there based on their goals and their KPIs, they're all rowing in the same direction. And there's something really special about having Christina here to put it all together. But if you'd like to listen more to some of the things that make that all come together, listen back to some of the episodes from John, from G, from Francesca, and from Essie. And if you haven't already, tell a friend, subscribe, and hey, drop us a review. Thanks so very much. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.